May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, last night was trivia night with the church, and that was a good time. I thought we would continue with trivia this morning. Um, I missed the Bible category and the theology category, so, so here's a Bible question for you. How many times is the term Christian used in the New Testament? How many times does the word Christian appear in the New Testament? Three times. It does appear three times. Um, Christian or Christians. How many times does the word then disciple or disciples appear in the New Testament? According to my search engine, it's 260 times. So the, even though we're most comfortable, I think, calling ourselves Christians, the dominant way in the New Testament to describe a follower of Jesus is disciple, a disciple of Christ. And the fact that the first time the word Christian is used, it's in Acts 11, verse 25, and it's used to describe disciples. It says in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So, according to the New Testament, to be a Christian is to be a disciple. To be a disciple is to be a Christian. I think sometimes we might fall into a, a temptation to think of two-tiered Christianity. You have your disciples, and then you have the upper-level uh, members. The, the dis- you have the Christians, and then you have the disciples that are sort of the upper-level members. But discipleship is not really an option for the Christian. It is part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to look at this morning as we look at the gospel reading is this call, this very challenging call that Jesus makes to us to be his disciple, to tease out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to help us grow in our appreciation and understanding of discipleship as Christians but also to help us understand, maybe to sharpen up our mission as a church, because our mission is to be disciples who make disciples. The great commission Jesus gives us is to go and make disciples of all nations. So this is an important passage. This is sort of the central classic passage of, uh, regarding discipleship. And I want to take some time and look at this. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I think the first thing I want to say here is that to be a disciple of Jesus is to be somebody who's attracted to the person of Jesus. That's really a precondition of being a disciple. There's something about Jesus that draws you to him, to his person. And we see uh, in this passage that there were crowds gathered around Jesus and he called the crowd to him. And all throughout the Gospels, what we see is Crowds following Jesus. Sometimes so many crowds that he had to get into a boat one time, get into a boat to teach because the crowds were pressing in. Zacchaeus had to climb up in a tree because there were too many people. He couldn't see Jesus. There's one time in the Gospels where Jesus says to his disciples, we need to get away from here. We need to go on a retreat. And the Gospel writer says they were so busy with the crowds they hardly had time to eat. Crowds pressing in. To see Jesus. Why? Because God was breaking into their world through Christ. 
The kingdom of God had come in Jesus Christ. And so they saw him healing blind eyes, opening blind eyes, raising the dead, casting out demons, feeding thousands of people in a miraculous way. The kingdom of God had come in Christ and they they were attracted to to that. Yeah, there was the, the wow factor, but they were attracted to the sense that in Christ they were seeing the love of God, the compassion of God, the power of God. They were hearing the wisdom of God. And so they were drawn to him. And so crowds started to follow him. And I think that's a that's step number one to be a disciple of Jesus is to be attracted to him as a person and to want to attach yourself to him. It's more than just wanting to be part of the church. That's part of it. It's certainly more than just wanting to be part of the church because that's the thing to do. It's I'm compelled. I am drawn to this person, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the the kingdom of God is at hand. And because the kingdom of God is there in Christ, he brings life and he brings hope and he brings the possibility of transformation. And so that's what's happening in these gospel stories as the crowds gather around Jesus. I've been reading uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with my little girls. And uh, so that's been kind of a fun escape for me in light of all the difficult and dark news of our day. And uh, I think I've been looking forward to it more than they have. What's going to happen next in the land beyond the wardrobe? And uh, Frederick Buchner wrote that every age has produced fairy tales because fairy tales tap into something in our heart, a longing into heart in our heart to say, there's something more to this world than what we see. There's something more than the death and the violence and the suffering and the destruction. The power of fairy tales is to tap into this longing for something more, to tap into hope and the power of transformation. And the gospel of Jesus Christ taps into this longing too, except it's not a fairy tale. It's true. In Christ, the kingdom of God has come. With Christ, there is the possibility of hope and transformation. And so discipleship starts with that sense that I'm attracted to this person because in him there's the power of of transformation, the gift of hope, the gift of life. And so we see Jesus in Scripture or we might get this sense as we hear the word being preached or we might see Christ in other people. And there's something that's attractive about that. And we're drawn to Jesus. So I think that's the first step here. In discipleship, being drawn to Jesus and wanting to attach yourself to him. But then Jesus says something that separates the the crowd from the disciples. What a challenging word that he says in verse 34. Uh, This separates those who are merely attracted to him from those who are willing to be fully committed to him. When he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross And follow me. This is a call to be completely surrendered to Jesus Christ in every area, in every aspect of our life. And that is the next stage in discipleship. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be fully surrendered to Christ, to sacrifice for Christ, the life of faith. We see it in the story of Abraham that we read, a very dramatic story in Genesis 22, very tense story. It teaches us that the life of faith is the life of sacrifice and trusting God. 
even when it doesn't always make sense. This was a test of Abraham's faith. The life of faith involves sacrifice and surrender. And that's what Jesus is calling for here. But the context makes it clear that Jesus is calling for something that he is going to do himself. He's not calling his followers to do something that he's not willing to do. He's predicted here that he will suffer. He will freely enter into this suffering. He will freely take up the cross on behalf of others. He's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. In three days, he's going to rise again. Peter rebuked him. This was not Peter's understanding of what the Messiah was to do. But Jesus makes it clear. This is the will of God. To show this sort of sacrificial love. To die for the sins of the world. In this way, it's the will of God. We see in our epistle reading from Romans. Paul's only letter to the Romans, as was rightly specified. That God did not spare his own son. God spared the son of Abraham. He spared Isaac. But God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Sacrificial love. Self-giving love. A love that surrenders what's most precious. We see it in the life of Christ. And he's calling forth that in the life of his disciples. Take up your cross. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. To deny yourself does not mean that you loathe yourself. To deny yourself does not mean that you, 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 you need to suppress your personality. To deny yourself here is to be more fully surrendered to Christ so that he can work in our lives in a fuller way. The more we're surrendered to Christ, the more he works in our life, the more the image of God is restored in us. And we become more fully who God intended us to be. It's not a suppression of our personality. It's really a coming alive of our personality as the image of God is transformed more and more in our lives. I like what Hans Beyer uh, wrote. Hans Beyer is a New Testament uh, professor down the road at Covenant Theological Seminary. And uh, whenever you go to Covenant, the professors give you their books, I've noticed. And so I got a book uh, once, uh, not directly from Hans Beyer, but as part of a group of pastors. They were giving away his commentary, the Gospel of Mark. And he comments on this passage of denying yourself and taking up your cross. And here's what he says. The tough challenges of self-denial and carrying one's cross are not goals in themselves. They're not goals in themselves, but they're means to a goal. And the goal is to be free to follow Christ fully. You empty yourself so that you might be detached from those things that would hinder you to follow Christ. The goal, he says, is to be free for Christ's will and Christ's adventure in his ways. So throughout our life as disciples, and we can all look back, I'm sure, and say that there were, there were moments, there were crossroads, there were literally cross-shaped decisions that we had to make. We had to sacrifice something for Christ. To continue on with Christ. And, and those crossroads decisions, those cross-shaped decisions, raise the question, will we surrender fully to Christ or are we going to go our own way? The great illustration of this, or one of the great examples of this, is the rich young ruler in Luke 18, who comes to Jesus. He's attracted to Jesus. There's something about Jesus that's compelling to him, to this movement of the kingdom of God. And so... He goes to Jesus. He's interested in what Jesus thinks. He's interested in following Jesus. But what does Jesus say to him? Sell all that you have 
Distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Surrender this idol in your life. This was where this man was gaining his identity and his significance from. Was his wealth. But the rich young ruler at that crossroads, he turned away from following Christ. And it says that he was he was sad. He was very sad because he was very wealthy. He couldn't surrender. And so he missed out on the adventure of being a disciple of Christ. So, brothers and sisters, where might Christ be saying to you and to me? At this season of your life, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow. Surrender. Maybe for some people it is material things. Maybe for some people here it is wealth. Finding security and significance in money. And Christ might be calling you to give more of that away for the sake of the kingdom of God. Maybe for some people it's reputation. Are you willing to stand up, to stick out for Christ? Are you willing to stand up at the workplace, in the neighborhood, to be known as, as a Christian? in an environment where it's increasingly becoming a post-Christian environment. Well, for some people, it might be saying no to certain sins in your life that you're holding on to. Say no to sensuality, to, to instincts and desires that lead you into immorality and away from the holiness that Christ calls us to. What area in your life may Christ be calling you to surrender? Maybe it's saying no to self-promotion, to selfish ambition, and seeing your, your life as, as one of service, shifting from selfish ambition to one of serving others with my gifts, my time, my talent, the work that God has given me to do. So this is, this is a call that all disciples have to hear, and I think we continually to hear, hear as we journey with Christ, the call to surrender. To continue to surrender. To be fully available to Him. That's the goal. And then finally, to be a disciple of Christ is to live with an eternal perspective. A perspective that says the sacrifice is worth it. The sacrifice and the surrendering is worth it in light of eternity. Because Jesus says in verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, you, you must be willing even to die for my sake and the gospel's sake. But if you're willing to do that, you will find life in that sacrifice. Isn't that an incredible claim and challenge? And of course, in Jesus' day and in the disciples' day, in the early church, that was very literal. They had to be willing to die for the sake of Christ. And many of them did. They died as martyrs, as a witness. As a witness that they were clinging to this promise. That if they give their life up for Jesus, they're going to find it. They're going to find eternal life. Of course, this still goes on today, doesn't it? In many parts of the world. And we're, we're encouraged by the witness of those who are willing to give up their life for Christ. And we're challenged in our culture where we have it a lot easier to be more bold in our witness for Christ. I was at the Synod meeting, you know, a couple, like three weeks ago, and met somebody, I've shared this with some of you, met somebody there who does work in India. 
And um, his name is Michael, and he does work with pastors in India. He was talking about this one pastor that he personally knows who's gone into the villages and been beaten several times for his witness to Christ. And this last time he was beaten, he was almost beaten to death. He didn't die, but the villagers took him into the hospital and they thought he might die. And his little son came to his bedside there in the hospital and said, Dad, you can leave and I'll pick it up from here. I will continue to be a witness for Christ. That's the kind of strength that our brothers and sisters have in these places. That's the kind of witness they bear. It's so challenging for us here in the West. But we have to be willing to give up even our own life for the sake of Christ because it's in light of eternity that these sacrifices are made. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Jesus says. But loses his soul. But loses his soul. So many people in our culture that are enjoying so much of what the world has to offer. Material possessions and comfort and luxury. But do they care about their soul? Have they given a thought about what happens to their soul? What happens beyond this life? We are here to tell them that there is hope beyond this life. We're here to call them to, to be concerned about their soul. So a disciple of Christ says... Lord, I am willing to exchange the temporary for the eternal. The transitory for knowing Christ and this love of God that Paul talks about that death can't defeat. I'm willing to exchange the temporary for the eternal. I've heard a story. I'm not sure if this is true, but it's a, <laughs> it's a nice illustration. Uh, it's a story of what happened with uh, Charlemagne's tomb. Uh, about 180 years after the death of the Emperor Charlemagne, around the year 1000, his tomb was opened at the command of another emperor. And they looked inside, and this is what they saw. Charlemagne was buried, sitting upright on his throne, and a crown was on his skull, and a copy of the Gospels in his lap, and his bony finger was pointing to this very text. What does it profit a man? if he gains the whole world and loses soul. This was the finger of a man who had been the most powerful and wealthy man at one time in history. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? A disciple of Christ in light of eternity is willing to be shunned for the sake of the gospel, to be considered foolish and unsophisticated for following Christ in his words. Jesus says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him, the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. The disciple of Christ has come to the conclusion that it's worth this. It's worth risking reputation. It's worth risking my all, even my very life for the sake of knowing Christ now and forever. Friends, realize that the sacrifices that you have made are worth it in the light of eternity. Don't give up making those sacrifices in the light of eternity. So, what areas of discipleship might God be asking you to make or might be talking to you about, rather, this morning? What areas of discipleship might God be asking you to grow in this morning? Is it attraction to Jesus? Maybe there's a sense that 
that I'm, I'm, I'm not as attracted to Christ, the, the person of Christ. There's not a longing in my heart for Christ like there once was. And maybe the prayer is flame the, the, inflame my heart once again, Lord Jesus. Give me a desire to desire you once again. Maybe there's a place of surrender to Christ that he's calling for you to make. Maybe it's this idea of living with an eternal perspective. But may God call each of us to be more fully committed as his disciples. For the sake of our soul, for the sake of others, and for his glory. Amen. Let's just take some time to reflect on that. Lord Jesus, in what areas of my life are you calling me to greater discipleship, greater commitment to you? Where do I need to surrender? Oh Lord, help us to believe your word. Help us to believe that in your presence there is fullness of joy and that you are, are worth sacrificing everything. We, we consider, we want to be able to say with Paul, we consider everything a loss for the sake of knowing you, Christ Jesus, our Lord. The one who gave so much for us, gave everything for us, that we might have eternal life. Call each of us and call this church to a deeper walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.